This is a Better Reading podcast. Check out our other shows on all major platforms. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The What Are You Reading podcast is brought to you by Belinda Audio. Hi everyone, Cheryl Argle here. This is our new podcast, What Are You Reading? Our followers know that we have our popular What Are You Reading Facebook Live every Thursday at 2pm. We decided to keep asking that question over the summer with this podcast and some amazing guests. So buckle up and let's talk about what we are reading. If you're going to launch a podcast about what we're reading, who better to start with than my good friend and avid reader, Caroline Overington. She is the best-selling author and Walkley award-winning journalist of thrillers like The One Who Got Away, Last Woman Hanged, Cuckoo's Cry and the true crime story Missing William Tyrrell. She's also the literary editor at The Australian. She's a champion of books and authors, and I can't wait to hear what she's reading. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> I love having you in here. Do you know, we just think up of reasons to get you in here to talk to us. That's that's. You really could just it. put on cake. I would come for the cake. Oh, would you just have <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll remember that next time. Hey, so what's happening out there in the literary world? So many things. It has been an incredibly busy year. But do you know what's really interesting to me? There haven't been that many books that just kind of jumped out that everybody was reading. No. So like, for example, last year, everyone was reading Still Life, the Sarah Winman, like you couldn't move. And the year before that, Sorrow and Bliss, everyone was reading it. Whereas this year has been a bit different. The big sellers have been Jane Harper's Exiles, sold really well. I think it sold about 40,000 copies before Christmas. Colleen Hoover. Colleen Hoover. Well, actually, how interesting that you raise Colleen Hoover because I was having a look at the bestseller list. So we get a lot of data about what sells, how many Australian books are selling, how many international, how much fiction, how much nonfiction. And it's all been corrupted in a way by the TikTok books. So the TikTok books, which are books like that are selling because they're being promoted on TikTok by users who love them, filling all the bestseller lists, all the top the top 10 books, all full of TikTok books and Colleen Hoover right up there. And so then it's not until you've got out of the TikTok books, which tend to be all internationals, not Australian, books that maybe not even out this year that are being rediscovered before you get down into the list to find the books that were published this year and are selling this year. Uh, do you know, I just want to touch on the TikTok books because you know what I love? You know, people are always whinging, you know, kids are on their screen, kids aren't reading, kids aren't doing this. Well, it's actually not true because when a book tickles their fancy, they I mean, millions of them jump on it, don't they? Millions. Although, not just TikTok books. I just saw some data this week, which was astonishing. The two biggest selling books of the year, or the fastest selling books of the year, the first one is going to be Recipe Tin Eats Dinner, which is 
on the basis of a blog. Basically, she has a blog and an Instagram account and now she's bought out the book. It sold, I think, 40,000 copies in the first week. People love that recipe book, Dinner. It's number one. So she was the fastest selling debut writer ever since records began. Wow. So astonishing. The fastest selling children's book ever the data's just out this week, is Scott Pape's Barefoot Kids. The in- so do you know the Barefoot Investor? Yes, yes. He's done a version I for re- kids. I was reading about that, yeah. 120,000 copies it sold wow. in two weeks. So that's got to be parents so who are really worried about their kids' financial literacy, not just their literacy, but their ability to save money, to appreciate the value of work. Do you remember how your parents sort of drummed well, that into I was, you? I was just remembering that. Do you know what the equivalent of that book would have been for me was the elephant yes. money pig from the Commonwealth the Bank Commonwealth that we all Bank. got? Yes. Did you get one of those? Yes, because do you remember <laughs> we were taught that if you set up a little lemonade stall yes. or a car washing business yes. or a lawn have business. a Commonwealth bank account. Yeah, and you save your money and the value of compound interest and working hard for a dollar and not being afraid to go out there and seek opportunities. And I think parents today are really worried about their kids. Mm. They're worried that they see all that conspicuous consumption online, you know, people driving around in gold Ferraris and girls with all their face creams and bikinis and makeup. But at the, at the base of all that, you have to be able to make a living. You have to put a roof over your head. Not everyone is able to be an influencer. So I think that is one of the biggest gifts books of the year. People are buying it for their kids, for their grandkids, maybe even for the neighbourhood kids. It's knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I can see that you've got a pile there. Yes, I've always got a pile. I get a massive pile of books into the office and obviously I can't read them all. I send a lot out to critics to review for me. So what I wanted to talk to you about were the ones that really touched and moved me. Do you know, I love your segment. What is it, the three that you... The three that came home with, with me. me. I love yes, that little segment. Every, every week I go in and there's at least 100 and sometimes 200 books on the desk waiting for me and not all of them will come home with me, but there's always a little something that I want to grab and take home. Think, oh, I'm going to take home and read that in bed, you know, when I'm all snuggled up. This one here, Faith, Hope and Carnage, this is the Nick Cave. It's got the beautiful white cover. It's in the hardback. This is not so much a book as a conversation. Mm. So Sean O'Hagan has been a journalist for a long time and he's known Nick Cave for a long time. And the reason it works is because they start out just talking to each other. So it's question and answer format. Sean asks the questions and Nick answers them. And you can feel the trust building between Mm. them because the conversation they have to have is about the death of his son, Arthur, Mm. who died in an accident when he fell from a cliff. Um, But you can't just jump in and have that conversation. You have to build your way up to it. In some ways, you can kind of see them working around the edges of it before Mm. they sort of approach it full on. Mm. There were some passages in this book that will stay with me forever, Cheryl. Uh, There was one particular part where they talk about when they the people come to the house to tell them that Arthur is dead. And they're kind of pushing back against the door because if you don't if you don't go to the door and you don't take the message, then it can't be true, you know, then you can't. And there's also a moment where he's discussing the physicality of grief mm. and how it affects you in a physical way and how he doesn't expect that. Mm. And he's lying in bed at night and he can feel himself vibrating and freezing cold from the grief. And he reaches across the bed to take Susie's hand, his wife's hand, and he finds her shaking and trembling in the same way. She's vibrating with grief as well. And I really, I I thought opening up that conversation for people, 
he he says in this book that since Arthur died, 60,000 people have written to him through his blog, having lost somebody, either a parent, a child, a brother, someone near and dear to them. The conversation about grief is one that I think people were waiting to have. You know, I'm just going to weigh in on that because our listeners will know that I lost my mother this year. People just don't talk about it. And I did a little post the other day about what I wore to my mother's funeral and so many people were critical about it. And just like, this is how we're all feeling. And, you know, it's still a very difficult subject for so many people. I love the fact that two men are talking about it. You know, I hadn't thought of that until you just said that then. That's right, because Mm. men, music is one of the areas, I think sport Mm. is another, where men give themselves an opportunity to feel something. Mm. And when you live in a very masculine culture, as we do in Australia, uh, it's difficult for men to be able to talk about the way they feel. Mm. And they do it through, often, um, oftentimes you'll see them talking about sport or about music, and you can see they're getting an opportunity to feel something. So the fact that Nick, Nick Cave is a musician and that he has been a musician in our lives for 30 or 40 years, since he was a bad sort of gelled-haired young punk, you know, mm. making all those mistakes that young men make. And we've watched him grow up, get married, have children and unbelievably lose two of Mm. them. And for him to be grappling with that in a public way, I think you're right, is incredibly valuable for Mm. Australian men. Mm. But anybody who wants to have a conversation about grief, I think will love this book. Mm. Absolutely. The other one that moved me beyond measure is The Disappearance of Josef Mengler. It's a tiny book, but it's very beautiful. Josef Mengler was one of the worst guards at the Auschwitz concentration camp and he escaped after the war and I think that many of your listeners will know that many of the Nazis did escape they went to Mm. South America what this book does it's a novel but it's based on the true record on the documents that the writer was able to to find he's able to trace the life that he lived after he made it to South America and I was a little bit thrilled I think to find that he lived paranoid and afraid Mm. and frightened. He surrounded himself with wild dogs and he he built a lookout that he could climb to the top of to see who was coming to get him. Because, of course, the Americans became very active in trying to bring justice to the end of the Second World War. And this book is, I think, a masterpiece. It's won everything and it's only just available in Australia because it's had to be translated from the French. It's almost a novella, isn't it? It's tiny. It's tiny. Do you know, I want to talk about that. I had dinner the other night with an Australian publisher and she was saying that there's a lot of shorter fiction coming out. Have you heard about that? That is true. And there's also a lot of really beautiful small books available, which... I think is in part due to well maybe it is maybe they feed into each other but the audible book is interesting because mm. they are all much shorter. Mm. I spoke to the people at Audible, which is Amazon, and you may know that Spotify has recently got into Audible books as well. So if you put on your Spotify from this week, I believe, you now get 300,000 books available to you that you can listen to in the same way you listen to your podcast or you oh, listen right. to. Okay. So Audible books tend to be shorter because what their data tells them or what their feedback tells them is people would like to do it over about a week. Yeah. So if you're listening to a book online, you're listening to an hour while you're on the treadmill or you're driving to work or you're on your commute or you're vacuuming the house, about an hour, 40 minutes to an hour is enough. That's about the sweet spot. And you want to be done by the end of the week. So these books are about 40 or 50,000 words. And I think that's our shorter attention spans are translating to books. Saying that, have you seen the new John Irving? (laughs) 
You could sell it by the meter, Cheryl. <laughs> it's a brick. It's a brick. It's, it's, an, a brick. it's at least three inches thick. Wow. So I do still occasionally get a fiction book on my desk that's quite Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, how am I going to get through that? But mostly I think books are sitting at somewhere between 80 and 85,000 words mm. with a tendency towards the shorter. Mm. If I've got time for one more. You do. Uh, is everyone reading the Matthew Perry? Do you know, I haven't read it yet, but I've seen some of the promotion and publicity he's been doing. And some of it I've found really cringeworthy. And other, well, when he talks about his love for Jennifer An- Aniston, <laughs> I thought I can't look at that. Were you a Friends fan? Yeah, um, bit, a little bit. I dipped in and out. But when he's talking about his addiction, it's heart-wrenching. It is. And it's amazing to me that you... Th- can think that people have everything. Mm. But, I mean, I actually believe that a lot of addiction comes from a place of pain. Mm. It's, a, it's a pain management tool, whether it's alcohol or nicotine or, in his case, um, illegal drugs or it can be sex addiction too mm. or it can be an addiction to bad behaviour, to, to, you know, to blowing up your life. That mm. can be an addiction too. Mm. And I often think that it comes from a place of pain. And I'm always interested in the idea that... People can work through, if you, if you can work through what the pain is, you might be able to handle the things that are on the surface destroying your life. In fact, it's usually something much deeper. Mm. When I um, uh, look at books like, like Matthew's, I often wonder, you know, how candid can you be with your own life? And when you are, how painful is that for you and the people around you as well? Especially the people brave, around you. Yeah. brave move, isn't it? It is. Because he doesn't cut corners, does he? No, well, I actually haven't finished it. I've only just, I've only read like the first 20 pages. I was not a Friends fan. I didn't really watch Friends when I was growing up. I think people who did, he's the, he's the heartthrob, isn't he? He's the sexy one. Is that right? Okay. And so people have kind of jumped on it to find out more about his story and have been surprised to find that it is quite meaningful Mm. and it is quite deep Mm. and quite thoughtful. And also it's only recently, I think it's only three or four years ago that he's cleaned cleaned himself up. And you always worry, don't you, will it Mm. be forever? Because Mm. until it is forever, Mm. addiction is really tough and Mm. people do fall back. Absolutely. Yeah, they do. Well, Caroline, I I just always love chatting with you. You know that. And hopefully we'll have you back again real soon. For anyone wanting to follow Caroline's book recommendations, follow her on Instagram. And of course, you can get the Australian every weekend too. And that's it for now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to give us a review. And if you love discussing books, check out our What Are You Reading merch, t-shirts, tote bags and more. Find us on the Better Reading website. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Eating Network.